Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Thanks so much for hanging out. I do appreciate it. I I did. I just got done doing uh, fill-in for Vince Coakley for the previous hour. So if you are interested in hearing uh, that hour, go get the podcast from Vince Coakley Show, WBT app or WBT.com. Uh, it's on all of the major podcast platforms. And uh, you can get the uh, the hours there from the Vince Coakley program. Um, so who is Ralph Yarl? You probably have heard his name recently. About a month ago, a 16-year-old named Ralph Yarl accidentally went to the wrong house to pick up his younger brothers. And a guy inside the house, Andrew Lester, an elderly man, pulled out a handgun and shot Yarl through the door, striking him in the head. Fortunately, Ralph Yarl survived. But... His story became major national news. Two days later, on April 15th, a young woman named Kaylin Gillis was a passenger in a car in rural New York York, that accidentally turned up the wrong driveway. She was shot and killed by the homeowner, Kevin Monaghan. And then, on April 18th, in North Carolina, Gaston County, some kids chased a basketball into a man's yard. And the man, 24-year-old Robert Lewis Singletary, came out shooting at everyone. A six-year-old girl named Kinsley White was hit in the face with a bullet fragment, and her father was shot in the back while trying to get her back inside. Fortunately, he survived. All three of these stories, writes John Sexton at HotAir.com, all three of these stories are shocking, and all three of them made the news. But only one of these stories received major national attention from outlets like CNN, the New York Times, and the Washington Post. And if you didn't know anything more about these three stories, beyond what I just told you, in these descriptions, you might not be able to guess which one got the most attention, right? You might guess, oh, it was probably the shooting of Kaylin Gillis because she was actually killed, right, when they pulled into that driveway. The other victims were injured, but they survived. So Gillis would get the most coverage. No. Maybe you guessed Kinsley White, the little girl in Gaston County, because she's six years old. That seems like even more shocking that you would shoot a child, right? These kids that just chased a ball into your yard. Like, that's a, a, the story shocks the conscience. But you'd be wrong. There's one more factor not mentioned in the descriptions that I already read through. And it is that Ralph Yarl is black and Andrew Lester, the man who shot him, is white. The shooting of Kaylin Gillis, in which both the victim and the shooter were white, got far less attention. That was the rural New York shooting. Both white. Far less attention. The shooting of Kinsley White in Gastonia. She was white, and the shooter was black. Far less media attention. Ralph Yarl, by contrast, got a call from President Biden. I want to be clear 
For those who don't know where I'm coming from, Sexton writes, the shooting of Ralph Yarl looks indefensible to me. And by the way, I agree. Everything I've seen about that case, there's no, you don't get to shoot through a door at somebody. That's just ringing the bell. You, you don't get to do that. I'm very glad that Ralph Yarl wasn't hurt more seriously than he was. And I'm upset, or I'm not upset, that his case got lots of attention. And people around him letting him know this was not his fault. That's all appropriate. All of that's fine. Even so, I imagine he's going to be dealing with the memories of this for a very long time, even though he's getting all the support, right? It's going to, there was a, he has suffered a trauma. What does bother me is that other equally egregious or arguably worse crimes have not received the same attention from the media. And there is something wrong with that. He then goes through, he runs a bunch of uh, tests on uh, uh, Google Trends, and he runs the search terms for, like, the victims' names. He compares the coverage, the perpetrators' names. And what you see graphically here on the charts is that Ralph Yarl and Andrew Lester, those trends, they're, they're, they are mentioned in the news, according to Google Trends, at a rate that dwarfs the others combined. I mean, it's, it's not even close. Orders of magnitude of six times the coverage. And it wasn't just the quantity of the coverage. The quality of the coverage was also distinctly different. Stories about the Jarl shooting often opened with the race of the victim and the shooter. Same thing with what happened in Texas, in Allen, Texas, right? Right there in the headline, it's it's already blasted out that the guy was a neo-Nazi, white supremacist, Hispanic guy, right? They don't say Hispanic. They just give you his name. And his name is Hispanic. I don't know like what, like what I'm supposed to decipher from this information that you're giving me because they kind of seem to be at odds. But they never identified him as Hispanic in the Washington Post. However, when the Washington Post did the story about Ralph Yarl, it said an 84-year-old white Kansas City man was charged with two felonies after opening fire on a black teenager who rang his doorbell. Right? Now, what about... Kinsley White, the girl in Gastonia, quote, the man who police say shot a six-year-old girl and her father this week in North Carolina, wounding the girl in the face and causing her father to be hospitalized, has been arrested, authorities said. The words white and black do not appear in the story except one time apiece. You ready for this? Here's when they appeared. Quote, last week, Ralph Yarl, a black 16-year-old was shot and injured in Kansas City when he went to the wrong house to pick up his siblings. Andrew Lester, an 84-year-old white man, was charged. The only time in the story about Kinsley White where they mentioned the race of anybody was a reference to the Ralph Yarl shooting. Why? Why? Sexton says his own conclusion about all of this is that the media has been trained to elevate and racialize certain crime stories while not giving the same attention or treatment to other comparable stories. Call it the BLM effect if you want, but certain stories fit a pre-made narrative about race, which the media has decided to give disproportionate attention to, while other stories get just baseline coverage. The problem with this, this disproportionate coverage, it misleads people. It misleads people. 
All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's Military Surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. John Sexton at hotair.com talking about the inconsistent media coverage, this disproportionate coverage, and it misleads people. How does it mislead people? Well, for example, let's take one topic, uh, police shootings, police shootings. There's an uh, organization called the Skeptic Research Center, and when they ask people, hey, how many police shootings do you think occur, unarmed black men killed by cops? How many times do you think that that happens in a given year? <clears throat> do you have, what, what would be your guess? The correct answer is 11. That's, that's 11. It's about one a month. Unarmed black man killed by police. When people are asked this question, people who are on the right, um, they tend to get closer to that number in their guesses. People on the left, they think it's around 1,000. That is nuts. That's nuts, Right? That is a warping of the perception of reality, and it is based upon media coverage. This bonfire of the vanities type crap. And that's what we're seeing what's going on with uh, <clears throat> Jordan Neely. Excuse me, Jordan Neely up in the uh, uh, New York City subway. If you've never seen Bonfire of the Vanities, this, it, I mean, this is almost following the script. Somebody engages in criminal activity, gets killed doing so, and the media turn him into a martyr. Straight A student. He was a great student. All this, like, I mean, that was from the movie in the book, right? And so now there is a 24-year-old Marine named Daniel Penny. He's a veteran. He's a college student. And now he is on the chopping block. The left wants his head. They do. They want his head because he was the guy who subdued Jordan Neely in that subway car. Daniel Penny and his lawyers released a statement saying that he never intended to harm Mr. Neely. He could not have foreseen his untimely death. The disturbing incident unfolded Monday on a northbound F train in New York City. Neely, a 30-year-old Homeless man with 42 prior arrests was reportedly behaving erratically when Penny and other passengers, by the way, it was a darn near rainbow coalition. It was the United Colors of Benetton that helped to subdue this guy. It wasn't a bunch of white guys beating up a black guy. But Penny is white. Daniel Penny is white, and he's the one that put him in a chokehold. There were other guys, there were two other men, 
One was black. I couldn't tell the race of the other. But uh, they were holding his arms because he was still fighting. Now, by the way, I can understand why one might fight when they are losing oxygen to the brain. It makes sense to me why you would still struggle. But also, the guy was in the middle of a mental health episode. He was schizophrenic. He was behaving erratically. He was making threats to people. He said he didn't care if he died. He didn't care if he went to prison. And he's threatening people on the train. And these three guys said, we're going to protect everyone on this train from this insane person. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez had something to say about it. We'll get to that in a minute. Let me get to the uh, phones here. This is Josh. Welcome to the program. Josh, how are you? How's it going, Mr. Cowan? Hey, all right. What's going on? Yes, sir. I just wanted to um, add on to your comment about, you know, them adding fuel to the fire. <clears throat> Those are shooting that took place last week in Atlanta, and mainstream media did not cover that whatsoever. And in, in my opinion, this may sound, you know, a little far right or whatever, but uh, <laughs> I think they're just picking and choosing what stories to cover so they can make uh, a certain group of people look bad. Yeah, I don't even know. So first off, the first part of what you said is absolutely true because that is part of the job of all media, right? It's to pick and choose which stories to cover. So that's already baked into the process because they can't cover every single story, right? They don't have enough time or manpower. So they're absolutely making those choices. Now, the question is, are they making the choices to make some people look bad or what I, and this is, I I think this tends to be more, uh, uh, more true than not, which is they try to, uh, they try to pick stories or to ignore stories that that make certain protected classes as they see them, right? They try to protect further those those groups. So if a story makes them look worse, they will they will protect them and not cover it. And if a story makes them look like the victim, then they will elevate that story. I don't even know if it's necessarily in order to make you know the white people look bad i don't even think it's that i guess a lot of them are white people right <laughs> so i don't think I, I don't think that's necessarily the motivating factor i think it is more about oh they need our help they need our protection it's almost like a white man's burden kind of savior complex going on but but with that being said too though you see you know you hear nothing on black on black crime or you know white on white crime it's always white versus black or hispanic versus whites or whatever Right, and that's a, that, and I've gone over the stats on this before, right, that those are not the majority of the crimes. The majority of crimes are intraracial, white on white, black on black, Hispanic on Hispanic, people who know each other. Um, yeah, and uh, Josh, I appreciate the call, buddy. Thanks so much. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it doesn't get the headlines because, again, to what Josh said initially, right, they pick and choose which stories to cover. So Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, and some of her colleagues, they have some thoughts on the death of uh, Jordan Neely on that train, on that subway train. They quickly denounced New York City Mayor Eric Adams' response to the incident. Adams called for a pause on rendering judgment until the facts of the case are known. Unacceptable. dare you, sir? How dare you? Wanting to know what the facts of the case are before we rush to, to judgment here. Come on! This is America. AOC claimed that Jordan Neely was murdered. 
Penny's attorney, this is Daniel Penny, the 24-year-old Marine veteran and college student who put Neely in the chokehold on the floor because he was acting erratically and threatening violence against people and, by the way, was well-known on the subway car. In There are Reddit pages, which makes sense, right? People who ride the subway regularly on these routes, right, they know the people that cause the trouble. They go on to Reddit and they talk about the people. And Mr. Jordan Neely, the Michael Jackson impersonator who could do the moonwalk and all of that, apparently hadn't really been doing that act for a while, like years. The act he had been relying on is threatening people and, oh yeah, caving in the orbital socket of a 67-year-old woman. Yeah. He had a documented history of violent and erratic behavior, the apparent result of ongoing and untreated mental illness, also on drugs. So he's a schizophrenic, he's not on meds, but he is taking illegal drugs, which made it worse. Penny's attorney statement concludes by saying the mentally ill have been treated with indifference for too long. They say we hope that out of this awful tragedy will come a new commitment by our elected officials to address the mental health crisis on our streets and in our subways. Rich Lowry at National Review wrote a piece called The Use and Abuse of Jordan Neely that shamefully, shamefully, He matters more in death than he did in life. Anyone who lives in a major urban area routinely encounters someone like Jordan Neely, a mentally ill person who needs help, is not getting it, and at best lives at the margins and at worst is a threat to himself and everyone around him. Neely was a product of our urban civilization, of the choices it makes, and specifically of its callous disregard for the mentally ill, swathed in a faux compassion, a fake compassion. That is it. No one really cared about Neely, though. Not enough to get him the help he needed. Indeed, to insist on it. Now that his life has ended tragically and he offers the potential for a convenient political narrative, now? Oh, he'll be valued more as a supposed symbol of the evils of racism and of the power structures of our society than he was as simply another deeply troubled man who haunted our streets. And it's disgusting. Neely will get posthumous hagiography, which is like, you know, a biography for saints. But what he really needed was a regular dose of his meds. That's what he needed. Lowry goes on to say, imagine if we emptied out the nursing homes so people with dementia could wander the streets eating out of trash cans and sleeping on grates while office workers stepped around them on their way to work. That'd be unthinkable, right? But for some reason, we allow a class of other mentally impaired people, schizophrenics, to do the exact same thing. Why is that? There's a book Lowry cites called The Best Minds. And the explanation, according to the book, is sort of a a hangover from the romanticization of madness beginning in the 1960s that created the predicate for the deinstitutionalization movement and a host of other policy mistakes. 
the cracked theories of Michel Foucault aren't as fashionable anymore, but there's still an industry of civil libertarians and so-called advocates for the mentally ill who resist measures to compel treatment for people who otherwise will end up sleeping in subway cars and in some extreme cases, pushing people in front of them. In another piece by Brittany Bernstein over at National Review, Maybe you saw some video of this or pictures. Protesters in New York City disrupted subway service and clashed with police over the weekend as they called for justice for for Neely. New York police arrested at least seven people on Saturday who were involved in the protests, according to the New York Post. The power was temporarily shut off at Lexington Avenue and East 63rd Street Station after protesters jumped onto the tracks, blocking an incoming train. Police took several minutes to get them off the tracks, after which the train was able to continue on to the station. Then, several protesters blocked one of the train car's uh, open doorway, keeping passengers on the train. They would not let people get off the train, which, that is technically kidnapping, by the way. One rider asked officers to move the protesters so he could exit the train. The protesters shouted at him, Find another train, and you not getting off this train, sir. Again, kidnapping. Society cannot survive here with two sets of rules for very long, folks. Oh, hey, real quick, before I forget, Carolina Readiness Supply is prepping for its annual Heritage Life Skills event. It's coming up in July, and you can learn how to be better prepared and self-sufficient in the event of any emergency. Things like homesteading, canning, water storage, radio communications, herbal remedies, home defense, fermenting vegetables, all sorts of stuff. This is what Carolina Readiness Supply does. For beginners all the way to the most experienced preppers, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. Get your tickets now at carolinareadiness.com. That's carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? And this is Matt. He has called into the program. Hello, Matt. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, Pete. Thanks a lot. Sure. Hey, Pete, you've probably seen these interracial crime statistics that are floating all over Twitter. I'm sure you have. Um, my question, and this is a tough question, and it may be a question people are afraid to ask, is for these violent interracial crime statistics, how many of them are violent domestic disputes for interracial couples? Right. That's a tough question to ask, but I haven't been able to find somebody's got the answer, but that's what I've been looking for. You're looking uh, for the number of violent crimes? Violent, are, violent well, it's, it's violent domestic disputes. You've seen those numbers, and the numbers say... I haven't, not, I, like, all right, go, yeah, finish your statement, because I, I haven't seen what you're talking about, so I'm curious well, to numbers, hear the rest I'm, of the I'm question. about the, the, the um, numbers that, that Elon Musk retweeted. And showing, and the question, you know, do we concentrate too much on one? Uh, I did not segment? see Elon. I did not see Elon Musk's tweets okay. about the about these crimes. Is he is he talking about domestic violence? No, he's talking about he's talking about violence, interracial violence, interracial, interracial violence. violence. And when you look at interracial violence in this country, you find that you know more people more black people attack white people than white people attack black people correct more i mean that's that's just happens right but um, it's also but right but that is also part and parcel with the larger stat which is like the mo- the violent crimes that occur are usually intra racial 
black on black, white on white, people victimize their own racial groups more than going outside their racial groups. But when you go outside your racial groups, yes, blacks victimize whites more so than whites victimize blacks. But here's an interesting statistic since you brought that up. As you know, white people are more likely to attack white people mm-hmm. uh, or be attacked by white people. Black people are more likely to be a- attacked by black people. Hispanic people are more likely to be attacked by Hispanic people. But Asian people are more likely to be attacked by black people. Mm-hmm. Interesting statistic. Um, you know, but anyway, my question, when, when you're looking at these interracial crime statistics uh, for, for violent attacks... I really was wondering is is are they being skewed because of interracial marriage? And you should look for go online to see I don't know if they I mean I don't know if they break down violent crime into that specific of a category of domestic violence. Like I think the FBI certainly has those statistics. If you uh, go and see because they break it down by every kind of sub heading you could think of well right so the uh, fbi statistics the ucr is only as good as the law enforcement uh, agencies that send it into them and the, yeah and the law enforcement agencies uh they've got different criteria that they follow and and so a lot of it is not like for example for a long time they were lumping hispanics in with whites uh-huh. and so th- like this is what law enforcement agencies have been doing and so garbage in garbage out so some of this stuff right. is it, it, like i don't know if i've ever seen at a granular level what you're describing and i've looked at the crime stats for a long time i don't think i've ever seen that kind of breakdown and how that impacts the overall crime levels uh-huh. because uh-huh. i mean domestic violence uh yes it's violent crime but you know, I mean, a lot of times it's not even reported. But let alone like right. they break down. I mean, you're you're wanting a demographic breakdown of domestic violence, um, and then drawing that out of the overall numbers. And I don't know if I've ever seen that kind of that kind of extrapolation occur. So I don't know. Well, yeah, good luck. Okay. I mean, if you find it, well, thank you. Yeah, send it over I'll to like me. I'd be interested to see it. Uh, appreciate the call, Matt. Um, yeah, the email is Pete at the Pete Callender Show dot com. Like I said, I just I don't know if I've ever seen it broken down at that granular of a level, but it might've been, um, where was I? Oh, so Neely, this, uh, uh, trying to, I forget his first name. I keep forgetting Jordan, Jordan Neely. He struggled with mental health issues, including schizophrenia, PTSD, and depression. He had been arrested 42 times, including four times for assault. At the time of his death, he had an active warrant for allegedly assaulting a 67-year-old woman in 2021. Caved in her face. Lucky she didn't die. Reddit posts unearthed by journalist Andy No show that subway riders had grown to fear Neely nine years ago because of his erratic behavior. This gets to another uh, aspect of this story which is public transit. And it's a disaster. (laughs) Uh, It's a disaster. There's a guy named Mark Joffe. He's at the Cato Institute, Libertarian Think Tank. Took a look at how public transit is doing in America. It is not pretty. Not pretty. Transit ridership nationwide peaked at 10.7 billion trips in 2000. 14. That, friends, is almost a decade ago. We have never seen mass transit ridership numbers 
as high as we saw almost 10 years ago. The pandemic low in 2020 was about $4.5 billion. Right now, or last year, it's about $6 billion. $6 billion trips. Okay? That is a 40% decline from the peak ridership, even though the pandemic is now over. Given longer-term trends, it seems likely that total transit utilization will never return to the 2019 levels. And once they have reached a post-pandemic equilibrium, they should not be expected to grow on a per capita basis, he says. He estimates that trips per capita at its peak was actually even longer ago, 2008, at 35 rides per resident. But that doesn't actually tell you the whole story. I'll explain in a minute. News is next. News is next.